What's up, film fans? How's it going? Welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Monday, June 27th, 2022. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by the movie maestro himself, Mike Nichols. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside here in Michigan, Mike. How you doing, buddy? It's been a while. Yeah, it has. Glad to be back. Glad to be talking about movies. We could all just, you know, use a little break, use a little entertainment. Uh, it's actually stormy and thundery and raining here in Austin, which is nice because we've needed some water. It's been uh, way too hot here. So, yeah, let's, let's yeah. get into movies. My front yard looks like Arrakis from Dune right now. So I can really <laughs> use some rain, man. It's like everyone in the neighborhood just like yellow on yards. It's like unless you've got a, a you know, an irrigation system, which like nobody in my neighborhood does because every house was like built in the 40s. Uh, your yard is is pretty much sand at this point. So could definitely <laughs> use a little rainfall. That's for sure. But nobody cares about the state of my yard uh, here in Michigan. As Mike alluded to, we've got a four-pack of movies. I guess two of them are shows, miniseries. Uh, is there really a difference these days, Mike? I swear these limited series, like if they were made 10 years ago, they probably would have been made into a movie. But now we people are just like, oh, this is a way more effective way to make money and sustain hype. Let's just release it in parts. Well, and you can even tell that so many things now that are getting turned into miniseries or TV shows, it's like, especially like a lot of docu-series or something, it's like, this could have been two hours like or this could have been three hours but like there's at least one episode that is just stretched just so they can fit the like the seven episode or nine episode like format they're trying to hit so some of these things are getting stretched out a little unnecessarily now but uh, either way it is helping develop more fleshed out stories and i think that's kind of cool but i know you're gonna have a hard time trying to come up with a title for this podcast right just because of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we were just talking about it you know like anyone who follows the podcast or when it comes in on your apple feed or whatever you know i just put like the titles of the things we're reviewing uh but we i think three of the four things here have like seven eight word titles in there in their uh titles so i'm like man this uh this headline's gonna be about six pages too long or six lines and as a journalist we're definitely told not to do that but you know whatever mike this isn't journalism this is i'm making the rules around here so yeah. uh yeah. whatever um but yeah i always heard someone say oh harry potter if it was made today they definitely would have made it into a series instead of movies which i, I think kind of makes sense they still uh, can they still that's can. true it's it's probably coming you know as the uh lord of the rings uh series is in development you know it's coming eventually yeah. um but anyway, so I digress. Uh, speaking of stretching things out longer than they probably have to be, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about here is a miniseries, Mike, that you turned me on to, you wanted me to watch. And as a good uh, fellow co-host, uh, I decided to do it uh, because I trust your recommendations. So uh, it's called Under the Banner of Heaven. This is a Hulu limited series. Uh, it stars Andrew Garfield as a devout detective whose faith is tested as he investigates a brutal murder seemingly connected to an esteemed Utah family spiral into LDS fundamentalism. Uh, this show was created by Dustin Lance Black. As I said, stars Andrew Garfield, also Sam Worthington, Daisy Edgar Jones, who is suddenly in everything that's coming out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Denise Russell's in this. Um, who else? We got Gil Birmingham. So some notable actors here but yeah I'm like she's gonna be in that new movie uh where the crawdads sing i don't know uh -huh. if you've seen the previews for that yep. so i'm yep, like who is this girl like she's i've never even heard of her and all of a sudden she's in everything so i mean i guess that's how it works but uh you know she plays the girl who's, who's at the center of this murder that's not much of a spoiler to say because you know it's revealed pretty early on and it's pretty obvious where it's going as this uh show uses a lot of flashbacks 
But Mike, I know you're you're interested in uh, religion and sort of commentary on religion. Uh, you know, you're kind of drawn to this sort of stuff. So it didn't surprise me that uh, you would suggest this show. I have some thoughts on it, um, but you know, what, what, what were sort of your, what, why did you want to watch this? Well, I definitely wanted to see like a lot of the hype that was going up around Andrew Garfield's performance just going in. And that guy's had one heck of a year. I mean, he had tick, tick boom, which he was amazing. in. like, I I'm kind of surprised he didn't win the Oscar. Um, and then he had like Spider-Man uh, no way home, which he was amazing into, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> and um, yeah. then he had this, which everyone was getting like, dang, like this guy could win like Oscars and Emmys like this year alone. And yeah, like he's he's tremendous in this uh, in this show, which is a miniseries. It's based on this book, which is about this intense, like more. It's a true story. This intense, like Mormon kind of break off cult kind of um, went and like committed the murder of a of mother and, a, and her baby. Uh, who She was someone who was a part of this Mormon family who was like trying to break away to become a little bit more progressive. And these very intense guys went and um, just started stirring up uh, extremism and, and, and death. And uh, this, this, I really would like to read the book now. I'd really like to learn more about the actual case. Cause you can tell like there was some stuff that was stretched out. Even, even the uh, two detectives who are playing the two leads, Andrew Garfield and, um, Gil uh, Birmingham. yeah, Gil, he did a great job by the way. Gil Birmingham was, was phenomenal in this. Um, but yeah, like it, I think it's a really interesting story about how, when people who are religious themselves have to hold their own religion to account. And I think that's, what's interesting about Andrew Garfield's character, who is a, a total, like, you know, Mormon, uh, Mormon, uh, believer. And he is Mormons very, all the way. That's yeah. He's, he he's, yeah, he's Mormon all the way, basically. And now he has to deal with a case where Mormons are the murderers in a town where everyone's kind of Mormon and they all are trying to be neighborly and supportive of each other. And we wouldn't want to make the church look bad. So it's, it's him having to search for the truth in spite of his own belief systems of the truth, which I think is like, that doesn't matter if it's Mormon or, christian or islamic or, or atheist or anything like any belief system you have whether it's religious or political or you know anything like to have to then face the evil that exists within your belief system and to confront it uh i think is a really powerful like act of humility and self-awareness and it's nice to kind of see stories being told about that you know oftentimes you see either like it's two opposite, like maybe belief systems that are fighting, but here it's a belief system like wrestling with itself. And I think that's, uh, that's just very, it's hard to write. It's hard to get that right, but I think they did a good job. Um, I'm not Mormon. Um, I didn't, it's, it's not the belief system I've ever been part of, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely uh, am seeing reviews that people are like, yep, like that was exactly what I grew up in, or that was, that was, that was similar to the church I grew up in or something. And I could, I could kind of relate to some of that stuff. But um, yeah, what did you think of the, the show? I thought it, I thought it did a good job of like wrestling with the themes of what it was trying to tackle. I agree. I think, um, you know, a lot of times when you get religious uh, content, it's either like super preachy, like some of the, you know, they're actually targeting uh, like super religious people. And it's it's like yeah, God it's can do no wrong. It's cheesy. And and it's and cheesy and, or yeah. it's outright condemning religion religion and being uh, a devout christian or is islamic or anything this one sort of walks in between those two worlds where it's not outright condemning people who are uh religious but it is condemning just blind faith 
Uh, and yeah. it, it sort of shows like the danger of that. Um, so I, I think it really nailed that. Andrew Garfield is so conflicted throughout this whole thing. We're seeing him get pressure from his police chief, uh, from the church, from his own family. Of course, all these people are devout Mormons and he's, you know, digging up these things that are, uh, you know, less than desirable for them to see. And I really think Andrew Garfield nails that that conflict, that internal conflict so good throughout it. Yeah. I mean, murder mysteries like this are sort of saturated in the market. It seems like every true crime story that has ever happened has been turned into some documentary. We've, we're even seeing shows about true crime documentaries being made uh, like right, the Staircase yeah. on HBO, which I think is absurd and ridiculous and unnecessary. Um, but, you know, it's all the fad. Everyone knows it. Some of the biggest podcasts out there are murder mystery podcasts. So like if if it's a super saturated thing that if it's if it's not done skillfully and artfully and uniquely, it could be really boring. But this one, uh, when in the first episode when he goes into the crime scene and he sees the the woman and her daughter dead, and he just like is taken aback and he's like evil. It, that really hit me. I mean, it was like yeah. it was intense and like it, yeah. in such a saturated market when we see violence all the time, both in real life and in our media. Uh, I mean, it, it was weird how it affected me so much. So. I, I appreciated this show for sort of what it was trying to do because it really yeah. was trying to approach subject matter. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, devout Mormons are probably going to be happy with this uh, portrayal, well, but I, I don't think it, you know, I think it's more pointing at the, the fundamentalism, the crazy people more who are trying to practice, you know, things that were going on in the, the 1860s more so than people who are actually Mormon. Uh, that's who I, who it seems like they're sort of calling out, but I thought it was a very interesting um, sort of study, case study, look at wavering faith and how that uh, impacts a person and how that changes a person. Yeah, it definitely did do that very well, I think. And I, I do agree with what you said earlier. I, I do think this one got stretched a little bit. Well, like I, hour and four minute episode. Yeah, you probably could have cut two, like you probably could have condensed this story with two less episodes than they did. And it probably would have felt a little bit like more digestible. Like there was a lot of stretching at times. Um, but yeah, it is kind of strange. Like, like, I know this isn't really about re re like reviewing it as a movie, but I gotta say, it's gotta be true crime is such a, a strange, like artistic process just because there's people who are going to watch this, who knew, who knew the real Brenda, you know, it's like, Hey, do you want to watch the scene where Brenda gets murdered? Like, I, I can feel I, this must be so hard. Yeah, this must be so hard for the people around this story to, like, sit there and watch it or, you know, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you that, like, it, it, it did do a good job of exploring those themes about the tension between truth and faith. And um, and, yeah, I think everyone did a really good job. Andrew Garfield shown. I think uh, uh, Gil Birmingham shown Daisy Edgar Jones. I think this was the first thing I've seen her in, but I thought she did a great job. Um, and I really liked uh, Wyatt Russell. I thought oh, Wyatt terrifying. Russell was just oh man he he like he he nails that I don't know if it was just because of his Winter Soldier uh, show as as a U.S. agent or whatever his name but like he nails that like I'm doing the right thing and in the most terrifying like but insecure voice like he's he's got that pitch perfect down uh, props to him I thought he did great I don't think there was any weak person in the cast but those those ones especially shown it was also nice to see Seth Numeric in more stuff I thought he was great in turn. Uh, which was an underrated show, I think. Uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, everyone did a good job in this one. I would give this overall a B plus. 
what did you think of the inclusion of like some of the the Joseph Smith stuff and the Brigham Young stuff, like the flashbacks of like the early days of Mormonism? I thought that was interesting that the, that uh, Dustin Lynch Black felt necessary to sort of actually cast some yeah. of the founders of Mormonism. I mean, obviously, uh, it's it's easy to look at someone like Joseph Smith with a very skeptical eye, uh, yeah. as he's just basically a normal dude who claimed to be a prophet and started this whole religion, but. I found that at least part of it uh, to be an interesting storytelling choice where they're like basically like cutting in the early days of Mormonism against mm-hmm. current events that are going on in the present. And it, it was sort of interesting. And I, I'm not sure why they made that decision, but it it does sort of help flush out sort of the ideals and like what started this and to see that those some of those ideals while misguided have still carried over and i I did find it educational because they were bringing up like historical events uh that have happened in the mormon uh struggle and you know how they were like at odds with locals and multiple communities and how they basically ended up in salt lake city just because that's the only place they could go um so I, i did find myself like Wikipediaing a lot of the Mormon history, Same. Uh, which yeah. I found educational. So I did appreciate the show for sort of including that stuff, even though I'm not sure what the purpose was to support the main narrative. Yeah, my 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 own experience with studying Mormonism is very limited. Um, the, weirdly enough, the biggest thing that stands out is the South Park Mormon episode. Um, right, that's what I've heard. Many but, people um, but yeah, like there was definitely, like you said, like there were times where we were watching it, and then they would show this clip from what happened, something with Joseph Smith, and and you know, my girlfriend and I were trying to like, hey, she's like, is that real? Did that happen? I'm like, I don't know. Let's let's look it up. And so yeah, we we also did the very poor research of looking at Wikipedia, but um, but yeah, like I I do think that when you're dealing with anyone who's like a religious literalist, like these kind of, like these kind of intense, like group were um, the Lafferty boys, like they all take this back from the literal things that happen in these historic people's lives. So I think it's actually the smart approach to be like, okay, like you really want to get literal about this. Well, let's look back at literally what happened. And it's not this, you know, it's not this Sunday school image you really want to paint it as, or it's not as, black and white as maybe you want to paint as just so you can you know have things your way and use your faith as the weapon to do that there was a a good line that i think it was um brenda's husband said and it it was something like uh you know i don't see like what 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 these guys what my brothers are doing like i don't see god i just see men who want to use like like the name of god to like support their own emotional like desires and interests which Mm -hmm. the show did a really good job of showing because that is what all anytime like belief systems get corrupt that's what it's about it stops being about the values and starts being about your own personal agenda so this this show did a good job showing that i think he said something like our ideals breed dangerous men or something like that and i did like i did appreciate the because really at its heart this is a police procedural which could Mm -hmm. have been incredibly boring but i mean how much time do we spend with Andrew Garfield and Gil Birmingham, like just doing police work or bouncing around between rooms, interviewing the brothers. And we, we see like every single step of their investigation unfold. Like there's like no editing. It's almost like we're just watching them in a police room, which like we said, I think that could have been cut down, but um, I think the procedural stuff works because we care so much about the central character. Yeah. Yeah. Is um, it the wire? No, but it did a good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what yeah. is the wire, Mike? Nothing's the you, wire. Oh man. Let's be what right. do you what do you grade this one, Jim? <laughs> I ended up giving it an eight. Uh, I like I liked it quite a bit. Like I said, I think it's a little long-winded. I don't think it needs to be quite as long as I did, but at its center, I did appreciate the thoughtful uh the thoughtful analysis of somebody who's very 
devout and faithful and is starting to question that faith. I thought it was done pretty fairly, although, like I said, I think some practicing Mormons might feel differently. But uh, I thought it it did it with enough tact and um, uh, fairness that it sort of was eye opening for some of the things that the Mormons have gone through in their history and sort of maybe why they do what they do. But at its center, it's anchored by Andrew Garfield, who gives us a great performance. It's very nuanced. He's very conflicted. Uh, and because of that, watching it is is pretty, uh, pretty entertaining. So yeah. not an easy show to watch at all times. It's uh, it's pretty heavy handed at times. There's some stuff that'll just make you shake your head involved in it. Um, but it is enlightening. I'll say that. So yeah. uh, if you're interested in this kind of stuff and if you just want to see a good performance or if you're into, you know, the murder podcasts or all the, the things that Netflix comes out with every other day, uh, you'll probably be interested in Under the Banner of Heaven. I think it's a thoughtful analysis uh, of faith. So yeah. uh, let's move on to something else, Mike, here. This is a, another movie that you encouraged me to go see, but I was also hearing a lot of buzz on this. Uh, it's called Everything Everywhere. All at once. Uh, mm-hmm. This is directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. The plot, uh, according to IMDb, an aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can, by exploring other universes connected with the lives she could have led. Uh, this this film stars the amazing Michelle. Is it Yo, Mike? I, I, I wish I <laughs> I think it's Michelle Yo. I think but, it's Michelle Yo, yes. Yeah, um, and James Hong is in this. Jamie Lee Curtis is in this. Oh my gosh, man. Jamie Lee Curtis in this. We can talk about that in a sec. Uh, but Mike, this is a wild movie. Uh, honestly, you could compare it to another movie we're going to re- review later called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I think you can, we'll get to it, but I think you can oh, compare yeah. it favorably to that movie. Yes. Um, but uh, Mike, this is this is a wild movie. And I just read the plot summary, but I'm not sure that really fully explains <laughs> what this movie is getting to. And honestly, you kind of just have to go see it. Yeah. This is a film that I think comes along once once maybe every 25 years this is just an amazing movie i think it's easily the best movie i've seen this year it's definitely one of the best movies i've seen in the last 10 years like i like not since uh oh man why am i blanking on it not since parasite Parasite. yeah not since parasite have it been like wow like i just witnessed a great like i just witnessed a, a modern classic and this is certainly one. So this is about like if you're familiar, we, we've been having a lot of multiverse movies lately, thanks to like Marvel and DC and stuff. So you're familiar with the idea of the multiverse that there's like you know millions and endless different versions of us throughout the universe and different realities. So this is a this is a, a normal like Chinese American woman who is having a very kind of not not fulfilling life. She gets audited by the IRS, and in this process, she discovers that she is part of a multi-dimensional uh, plot of someone trying to take over all the different dimensions and she's the key to saving it. And the story just keeps like, it's like an onion. It has layers. Yeah. If you remember Shrek, but there's like the layers that keep getting peeled away. They don't just get bigger. They also get deeper at the same time. And this isn't just like, yes. Is this a, is this a sci-fi action movie? Sure. Is it also a very deep family drama about like accepting your both like your past identity and your your present future with your children? Yes. Is it also a sweet romance story about like the wife and the husband? Yes. Is it also an absurdist, surreal like exploration of the difference between nihilism and and progressive like life affirming choices? Yes. Is it also 
just a bizarre random thing that has hot dog fingers and you know butt plug like rocks dimension jumping each other <laughs> yes and rocks like it is so funny and beautiful and i i just love this movie so 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 much yeah i think you i think you, that was well said i mean it, i guess if if i was going to think of one word to describe this movie i would say kinetic because mm-hmm. right from the start, you're just like in this uh, this family, this Chinese family lives above a laundromat that they're trying to run. And right from the start of the movie, like the first like 20, 30 minutes, it's just Michelle Yeoh sort of living her day to day life. And she's it's always chaos. She's trying to handle like her kids, her her father, her husband, who's kind of a, a dork. Like he's she's like walk running around and everything's just constant chaos. And everyone's looking to her for guidance. And she doesn't really know what to do half the time. She's frustrated half the time and yeah like you said at the heart of this movie even though it's this crazy multiversal world jumping breaking the laws of filmmaking breaking the fourth wall doing all this crazy stuff at its heart this movie has heart it's about family it's about realizing that it's called everything everywhere all at once you can be anywhere you want and at the end the mother chooses that she just wants to be in her existence with her daughter and like the way that she comes to terms with that through this grand cosmic adventure that may or may not parts of it be happening in her head and other parts of it happening literally. And it takes a while to understand what the hell is even going on in this, but the idea that you can sort of jump into other versions of yourself and sort of inhabit those characteristics. And then through all of that, you learn that the best version of the self is the one that you are just your normal self. I thought mm-hmm. that that was really, really smart. And it, it really is just a, such a fun time at the theater watching this movie, you know, like you always watch those movies yeah. where you're like, you know, we've all been to the theater where we're watching something, particularly us doing a film podcast. Mm. Sometimes we go see movies just that because we feel like we need to review it, but maybe it wouldn't necessarily be something we love to see. You know, yes, so yes, we'll be talking about Yes, we'll be talking about Secrets of Dumbledore next week. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> At some point I'm gonna have to stop putting that off and watch that stupid <laughs> shit. But yes. Yeah. But like this one is one where I, you aren't looking at your phone to see how far in you are. You're just enjoying it. You're along for the ride and you're down with it. And the fact that this is a totally original um, sort of, you know, indie film that has caught on with the masses and gotten word of mouth and it's doing really well at the box office for what it is. Uh, I mean, that shows how good this movie is because it's not easy for for an, an indie movie to catch on these days. Yeah, no, it's not. And this one deserves to, though. Like, I mean. Like, uh, first of all, let's also talk about the cast for this. Like, the, you have Michelle Yeoh, who I, there was an interview I watched with her, and she was like in tears talking about how much this movie meant to her. And she was like, I just the fact that I had so much dynamic stuff to do that I like, I could be like strong and like and weak and like emotionally like vulnerable and yet emotionally strong. Like, she was, she got teared up and she said, I'm so thankful that my family and loved ones can finally see what I'm capable of really doing. And I'm just so happy for her. She got this chance. And also, we've got, uh, I'm sorry if I say your name wrong, uh, Jonathan Quaquan, who we haven't really seen since, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the Raiders, or uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, and then Goonies. He's, he's short round, <laughs> and here he is as a grown man. He's been behind the scenes, because when he was, after he was in those movies as a kid, people were like, oh, there's no, you don't want it, there's no leads for you anymore. Like, no one wants to. So he just was behind the scenes all these years doing stunt choreography and other things and then he said that he saw um uh crazy rich asians and he was like after that he's like oh i really want to be back in movies like he said now i think there's a time where people like me could be in front of the camera again 
and I could get lead roles and stuff. And this is like the first big movie he's got since. And oh my God, is he amazing. It's, this is why this stuff is great because there's so many diverse, talented people who just don't get like in front of the camera because stupid people who are in charge of movies say like, oh, well, they're not like, you know, they're not the right kind of talent or we just need like some like other person. I'm so glad that these kind of movies are finally getting made. And it just shows you if, you, if we had more diversity in film and entertainment, you we would be getting much better movies. And he is the heart of the movie. As much as Michelle Yeoh is the lead, I think he's really the heart of it. And it's such a great relationship they build. Um, everyone's great in it. I mean, even just the random appearance, like Jenny Slate is fantastic. Jamie Lee Curtis crushes it. Um, oh my god! This has got a great. I was cast. dying. Yeah. I was dying every time Jamie Lee Curtis was on was on screen as like the terrifying, like like clearly like over exaggerated, but sort of accurate embodiment of an IRS agent that is just yeah. coming to take your life away. And she's like this looming, like huge presence that like terrifies the family whenever she's around and she turns into like an actual like supervillain in this. I mean, and, and that's another thing we should mention, the fight choreography in this. Oh my gosh. So it's good. like classic kung fu. Yeah. And it's it, you it's don't great. expect it to happen, and then it just shows up out of nowhere with people fighting with chairs or a bag or whatever, you know, inanimate objects. That's always one of my favorite things about kung fu movies is that kung fu masters can kick anyone's ass with any object. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always one of my favorite things to see on screen. So uh, I really, really liked this movie. It was super entertaining. Um, let's see what else was there. I was I swear there was something else I wanted to mention. Let me, but, let me um, ask some, what was the what was the hardest you left them? What were your what were your favorite comedic moments in the movie? Oh, man, a lot of it was with Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, yeah. I laughed at the yeah. rocks. The rocks yeah, was funny the rocks. because they're just talking about this is the universe where we can just we don't have to talk to we're each just, other and like we're just rocks. <laughs> yeah, and she's still trying to chase her off the cliff. It's so uh, sweet. The editing in this, oh my yeah, gosh, when she's jumping through unreal. all the different existences and right. they're all sort of coming together. I mean, I think we're gonna get. I mean, this movie came out early in the year to be you know from when typical awards contenders come out but you gotta think this is going to be involved for something uh, with the reception and the fact that we have deborah yo who's well you know like almost 60 and you know the fact that that you can create a successful movie wait off who? a 60 year old you mean michelle yeah michelle yo sorry oh yeah no, worries. no sorry you just confused me for a second yeah <laughs> No, well, and um, the Daniels, the can... like the Daniels, like the, the directors and the writers, like they've been doing really good stuff. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw Swiss Army Man that they did, but that was a I, I know it was weird, but I oh, enjoyed weird. it. But this is this is like this really showed that they can like buckle it into a great story that just like it felt like a mix of like a Rick and Morty episode meets like Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. And it was just so, so good. Like, mm -hmm. This is I got great. some Black Mirror vibes too. Actually, yeah, a little but, bit. Um, I yeah, I, had, root... I can't wait to see this movie again just because I want to see like I want to be able to slow mo those scenes you were talking about, like where it's like cutting to every single universe because like you know there was so much stuff your eyes just couldn't even pick up on, but like if you go back mm -hmm. and watch it, you'll be like, oh, all these details they crafted in there. And even since like I've watched a couple of video essays on it and like all these little things I missed, where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that, but I didn't pick up on it until. The more you watch this movie, the more rewarding it is because you, you pick up on more stuff. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's fine. Uh, the Russo brothers, I was just going to say, are also involved in this, which I think oh, that probably yeah. helps with some of the action stuff. And, yeah. you know, they, they did a great job with the Avengers movie. So, I mean, yeah, you they can did. understand. 
Um, so I guess that gave them a little, you know, I'm not sure you can call it a true indie film when the Russo brothers are involved, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, regardless, uh, great job of the cast and crew. And I just like to see movies that aren't part of a franchise do well, yeah. you know, for, as a yes. film lover. You know, yes. how many, we're talking about franchises every other second uh, on this podcast because they're coming out so much. And I think we need to talk about it. And some of them are enjoyable. That's not to say that we don't enjoy blockbusters, but uh, or at least some blockbusters, but it's just nice to see a movie like this uh, capture um, film fans imagination and, and do well, because I think this absolutely is worth the attention it's getting. Well, and this also goes deeper. Like if you look at the real questions that this movie forces you to ask or think about, or that it forces the characters to ask, it's just way deeper. Like, and I know we'll do some comparing with this in Doctor Strange, but like, both of the both of these are multiverse movies about someone going through different dimensions, the same different version of, their, of themselves, and you know, then like people who are going through trying to mess it up. Both of these movies actually have very similar like plot aspects in a lot of ways, but this one just it just goes deeper. It goes deeper into the motions versus like Doctor Strange. It just ends with him saying, you know, a cheesy line. And then cliche things happen and it's all over and, you know, whatever. Like this one, actually, it forces the characters to wait in it. When she has the final fight, she doesn't even fight people. She just loves them. Like, mm-hmm. and that's how she defeats. Like, I loved seeing that. Like, I thought that was an incredible, like, message and shift of, like, how do we really, how do we defeat evil? How do we change? How do we grow? Like, just this film really is, like, and I know it's, it sounds snobby to say it, but, like, this the theme really is the difference between nihilism and and progress or or life like that is at the heart of what this movie is and it just it really digs into those things and other movies like yeah there's themes and there's stuff that gets like talked about but it's just it just doesn't go that deep this movie goes deep Mm-hmm. It's it, it definitely asks those questions. You know, what is the meaning of life? Does it even matter? Are we in control of our our own destiny? And it asks those questions, but then it's almost just like, well, I'm not sure that stuff actually matters because as long as you're present in your own existence and learn to appreciate your own reality, then does that stuff really matter? Um, yeah. And those are those are interesting questions. And whereas Doctor Strange, which we might as well get into here in a sec, since we're already yeah. talking about it, whereas that movie uses the multiverse as more of a plot device, this movie uses it as more of a point to tell its theme which right, I think yes. is a big distinction because one is surface level and one is something where you can actually anchor an interesting story. Um, so yeah. I think that's probably the biggest difference, but let's introduce Dr. Strange here. Cause I think we can right. sort of just compare that too, but Dr. Strange, yeah. obviously, you know who Dr. Strange is. It's, it's the continuation of the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, I believe this is the 28th film in the MCU. Holy crap, Mike. We've been watching yeah. these movies for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but the plot summary, uh, Dr. Strange teams up with a mysterious teenage girl from his dreams who can travel across multiverses to battle multiple threats, including other universes versions of himself, which threaten to wipe out millions across the multiverse. Um, so it's an interesting movie, Mike. It's it's uh, one we've been waiting for, I know, because Dr. Strange hasn't had a solo since 2016. He has, of course, appeared in the Avengers movies and Thor Ragnarok and most recently uh, messing things up uh, for Peter Parker in <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, so, Mike, I mean, obviously with the MCU, we're going to have high expectations. This film, especially when it's directed by Sam Raimi, who has had big success in superhero movies before with the yeah. Spider-Man trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff is in this, Chiwetel Echiofor, Benedict Wong, uh, Kochiti Gomez is the newcomer here, Rachel McAdams also in this movie, Michael Stuhlberg, and we get some cameos, which we'll get to in a bit here, Mike, I think. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, what did you... Uh, Doctor Strange... Uh, 
he's not one of my favorite characters, even though he's arguably like the most powerful Avenger out there. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's interesting, but he's kind of a selfish asshole too. And that's obviously like been key to his character throughout the MCU. And it's sort of changed a little bit, but he definitely still has that sort of bravos bravado that I'm not sure translates great to making you care about him <laughs> as a person. Yeah. Um, but what, what, what did you think about this? I wrote down a couple things. This I actually so we were talking about this. We Champ and I we know we need to do better notes with movies because a lot of the stuff we're saying is just off the cuff. And I know there's great things about movies we forget to talk about. But I actually did write a couple things down about this one. Number one, I just wrote they did Wanda dirty. <laughs> so yeah. that's gonna I be think, the main talking. Point. Yeah, it has if, been. If anyone has seen the WandaVision show, which this almost feels more like a sequel to WandaVision than it does Doctor Strange or any other Marvel film. Um, Wanda ends that with growth and with change and with vision or a version of vision alive. And uh, in this one, she just goes from, hey, I left that all behind. Literally like four sentences in the conversation later. No, I'm going to take everything. Like She has a crazy character switch from being like, I'm at peace. I'm leaving this alone to I'm actually going to destroy everything and everyone because I just want my children back even though she never once mentions wanting vision back, she just wants the two children back and the whole progress and character development that she's made for the last one. And even the whole MCU is just gone. And now she's just kind of a stock villain trying to just get kids. And it's, it's kind of a disservice to everything that not only Elizabeth Olsen built, but also what the, what the, you know, the universe itself here has built with who, who Wanda is. So I thought, I thought that was not, not great because she is kind of the whole plot. And in some ways it's like a team up movie between him and her where like he's almost on the screen as much as she is. She might even be on the screen more than him. I don't know. But uh, Wanda's story definitely takes over the plot of the film. And unfortunately they didn't do a good story that did justice to Wanda. What, what was the point of WandaVision when she goes through this whole arc where she learns what she's doing is wrong, you know, keeping these people, you know, captive in this fake reality. And then she learns what she's doing is wrong. And then I guess we did get the cutscene of her stuttering, studying the dark hold after WandaVision. But we were sort of wondering that maybe she was going to, if she was going to try and destroy it or if she was trying to learn about it and, you know, get rid of it. But no, it just turns out that every the arc she went through in WandaVision is completely erased in basically the blink of an eye. So apparently she's been, you know, holed up studying the Darkhold and all it did is corrupt her mind. And I guess that's the one saving grace that maybe you could put in is, you know, there are things I'm not a Marvel comics nerd, but I know there are things in the MCU or in the Marvel universe that you could sort of explain away her actions. Like maybe she's being treated like a puppet or maybe someone's controlling her mind or maybe she's like possessed and it's not really the true Wanda that's acting on these things. But we know we've seen it from WandaVision that she, her grief can be very powerful and make her do crazy things. When she's first introduced in the Avengers, she's a bad guy technically um, and comes around to the right side. And in the comics, she is portrayed as both hero and villain. So this does track with sort of her origins in the comics where sometimes she does dip a little bit too into the dark side. But if you're, if you're going to like have this whole arc, that's sort of redeeming for Wanda in a, in her own television series, then why are you bringing her back in this movie when she's just a straight bad guy? And then build on to that. Furthermore, yeah. as Evan Dean used to like to say, when she makes the flip from this bad 
back to good when she realizes that her kids, you know, love the mom in their universe, that switch happens super instantly. Suddenly she's like, I don't want this anymore because these two kids are crying about the me from this from this earth. And that yeah. now I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to destroy the dark hole along with seemingly myself. So I think yeah. her, her, her she's just flip flopping way too quickly. And it feels rushed and unearned at times, especially again, when she's in love with vision vision, who's back. Like there's another vision out there somewhere and she doesn't even seem to care about that. Like, so yeah. From a, so let's move off Wanda then from a, from a plot standpoint. I mean, this movie's pretty chaotic. Uh, I mean, it, we knew that was going to be the case with, with, you know, something called the multiverse of madness, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's going to be wild. I think from a, from an, a CGI uh, standpoint, you know, it, it's interesting to look at at times. Yeah. Uh, it is a little chaotic, but then again, this is Doctor Strange. The first one was pretty chaotic, too, and that didn't seem to bother me that much. Um, you know, I do like when they're sort of uh, him in America are sort of, you know, getting blown through all the multiverses and we see them turn into like cartoons in like different versions of New York. I think they turned into paint for a second there. I think yeah, there's even did, a line yeah. in the movie. Um, so, I mean, that was fun to see. Visually, it was cool. But what was the point? <laughs> the point was it was cool. Like that, that was kind of it. Like the whole multiverse that was set up in everything everywhere all at once feels like thematic. It feels like it, it adds to the story or expands the story. This just felt like, all right, guys, time to do time to do fan fan service and, and cameos, which is then what we get. We get spoiler, spoiler alerts. If you don't want to hear who all the cameos are. So we're going to talk about it now. We're going to get the Illuminati, which are, uh, a Marvel like group. I don't know. I don't really know who they are. I'm sorry. I haven't really read the comics either. But uh, you get uh, Charles Xavier reprised by the great Patrick Stewart uh, from the X Men movies. You get uh, Mario Rambo, who was in Captain Marvel. You get um, uh, Peggy Captain Carter, Carter who's Captain Carter. It. You get uh, Reed Richards played by uh, John Krasinski, which I think <laughs> a lot of people were. I was happy to see him because I think he would be a good. Uh, Reed Richards anyway. That's then a point you get, of the uh, Black Car or Blackagar. I don't remember his name. But the guy who He's is from the that sound... failed in humans show. Yeah. Which which is also them bringing those shows in. So the fact that they got the same actor to, to reprise the role is kind of cool. Like that they're like connecting all the shows a little bit. Kind of like they did with Daredevil and Spider-Man No Way Home. But uh, bringing in the Fox properties. Yeah. So I all those people when are I cool. saw Charles. When I saw Charles, I lost yeah. it. And that's exciting. That like, was pretty cool. Yeah, all those people are cool, and it's like, oh, great, they're in here. And then they're all dead within seconds. And it was like, oh, well, I guess that wasn't that wasn't See, really how, that. Uh... How do you feel about that? Because like, I know that these are just one version of these characters in Earth. What was it? Earth 838 when they were at. Oh, by the way, the Illuminati is a group that's intended to monitor and apprehend potential threats to the multiverse. So there you go. Um, yeah. But I know that these characters can obviously come up into the MCU Prime because this isn't our Earth. Or Earth 616 that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But it does feel a little weird that you're going to like use this huge reveal of Charles Xavier. You're going to unveil John Krasinski in the MCU and then you're just going to kill him. Like it, it, I know, I know that they could conceivably pop up again in our main MCU, but like it does feel like a little bit uh, of a waste, you know, like yeah. it's like you're going to use this moment to bring these characters in and then you're just going to dispatch them in five minutes of screen time. Yeah, I know the point was to show how strong Scarlet Witch is, but I don't know. It, it just felt a little clunky to me. Yeah, a lot of this movie felt clunky. The one thing that I think did work well was a lot of the Sam Raimi like 
like the way he the way he moves into you horror. You can tell it's his movie. Yeah, you yeah. can tell it's a Sam Raimi movie. Even just the way it's shot and the humor in it, like there there were those things that worked well. Like when when it, when there's moments where it turns into horror, like them and they're scared that she could be coming down a hallway or something. Moments like that work. Then you also realize it's a little silly because they're like, oh wait, let's get to the, like she's blasting every single door out of their way. And then they finally shut like a third door or something. And they're like, okay, good. We're safe for now. And it's like, wait, why can't you just blast that door? Like a lot of the rules start like going out the window and that, that gets a little annoying, but like, I think Sam Raimi still did a good job keeping it creative and keeping it like somewhat tethered to a tangible plot line. I think my favorite thing he did, and I did write this down as being amazing was there's a fight between Dr. Strange and like an evil Dr. Strange and they fight through music notes and it's really really beautiful like that was original like that was creative like that was the one thing in the movie where i saw that and i was like i've never seen that before that's really that's kind of that's really sweet like the way they did that very creative in in a movie about like multiverses where every single different dimension of life could be possible like that was actually the only thing i really found that creative um yeah i mean i think visually this movie is fine. I mean, I think it's cool, you know, from a visual standpoint. I mean, there's obviously a lot going on, but there's, there's too many sort of MacGuffins, whether it's the dark hold or the, the temple. I mean, there's just things that like, there's so many, you know, fancy doohickeys and crazy things going on in the multiverse that it's almost hard to care about all the characters because it just feels like it's all bogged down in this CGI and all this uh, plot spewing out from it, whether it's Dr. Strange or uh, basically BD or uh, Benedict Wong's characters just there to explain a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, although he does get some good fighting moments, like when they're fighting the, uh, the octopus guy in the beginning there, the one eyed octopus. I thought that was an interesting fight scene. Yeah, America but... feels kind of wasted in this. I'm not sure yeah. really what her point was. And Christine, uh, the Rachel McAdams character who I thought was wasted in the first Dr. Strange. I didn't really buy their romantic uh, chemistry too much in that one. We don't even really get the normal Christine in this. It's Earth 838 Christine, which I guess they try and give her a little bit more. But their love story and relationship has never felt very uh, kinetic, to use that no. word again, <laughs> to me. Well, I'm imagine sorry. imagine if you're, you're you're brought in, you get Rachel McAdams, right? Like one of the, one of the best actresses of her generation, and they're like, "Hey, in the last movie, your characters didn't work, so we're creating an entire new dimension character of you, and you'll play that character more than the actual character you built from the last movie." Like, it's kind of what happened. Yeah, and it does make me nervous for them bringing back Natalie Portman in the upcoming Thor movie. Um, she's been yeah. playing a sort of a different version of herself, but uh, that that sort of relationship also got a lot of uh, heat when that that came out. So. I don't know. Like overall, I guess it's it's fine, I guess is what I would say. But we we expect more than fine when it comes to the MCU. The track record of these films are so huge. They feel like huge cultural events whenever they come out. These are characters now that we've been living with, you know, not Doctor Strange, but, you know, since 2008, the MCU has been getting flushed out. And as we open up more and more corners of it, um, you know, and we've had these discussions for before, but I guess you just worry about them these movies feeling a little bit too assembly line-ish and not yeah. like where they're actually putting time and creativity into each of them and giving the characters the time they deserve. So I don't think it's a bad movie. I gave it a six and a half because you know, the fight scenes are still cool. Uh, the, there's characters that we've been tracking a while that it's cool to see, but Wanda's turn as a, a stone cold villain. I'm, can she come back from this now? Well, there's debate as to whether or not she even dies at the end. I don't Again. think she's dead. I don't think she, I think she's in some dimension somewhere. 
uh, that she's yeah. probably going to pop up again. But like, but you, she can't know. go out like that. But one if la- she is alive, can you come back from this? I don't know. I think. As a hero? I think. It, I well, they can just have a different dimension, Wanda, come in, and we'll just care about her. That is another <laughs> issue when you have the multiverse, and we talked about this with Loki that you risk, um, you you risk uh, sort of things happening to your characters becoming less mm-hmm. important with this multiverse idea because it can just be like, oh yeah, we killed that person off, but we can just bring back a different version. Uh, the show The Flash does this with a character called uh, uh, with a character called uh, Wells. I forget his first name, but he plays like six different versions of the same guy because they're from different multiverses. And it's like, if he dies, then everyone's like, well, who cares? We'll just bring another version on. So I do think that is risking when now that they've opened up this big multiverse layer of the MCU. Well, and I think it would be okay if maybe they didn't do everything with it. But now, like, I feel like everything in the MCU is now multiverse. Like, you've got, like, Loki. It's, like, the main plot of Loki. Then they even do, like, the whole, I forget what it was called. Like, but the, but the MCU stuff where it was all animated and every single episode was a different dimension. Yeah, what if. And now they've got Spider-Man No Way Home. And now they've got Multiverse Madness. And I don't know. It just start, It's starting to feel like every single, like, mcu thing is now multiverse like that's kind of the main plot and plot of everything um Mm -hmm. but even like like you said like why do we have a high expectation of what happens you're right because of the past and because these movies have already been good so we expect more good but you also have like some of the best talent like you've got bandit cumberbatch you've got elizabeth olsen you've got like you know all these amazing yeah (laughs) sam raimi it's like well don't these people have something good to work with but then you've also got like the context itself you're like these are some of the most powerful figures, right? Like this character can do this and this and this and this, and like they can change dimensions. They can make spells like, and when they're like, okay, we have to have an entire school of sorcerers try to fight Scarlet Witch. Okay. That should be a really imagine with all the magical powers you can muster and all the different types of spells or things you can get creative with all the different like mystical mythical beasts they have access to. They try to fight her with bows and arrows. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. Like, they're, they're just like, oh, we make a little, like, shield spell, and then you shoot her with bows and arrows. Other guys get, like, spears. Like, I mean, they're, they're, the arguably, they're arguably the two most powerful characters in the MCU with, between yeah. WandaVision and Doctor Strange. But, so. the, yeah, it's just the lack of creativity, the lack of, you know, the lack of real heart in this movie, I think, was just very discouraging. This was one of my weaker... MCU movies, to be honest. And frankly, let's compare real quick. What do you think, if we're comparing the multiverses movies and the way these movies did, everything everywhere all at once to Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, what do you think the budgets were? What do you think the budget was for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? I mean, at least like 200 million. The budget was 200 million. Guess what the budget for everything everywhere all at once was? 20? 25 million. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah makes sense they did so much more with less and they did it more heartfelt too i mean it's yeah and maybe it's just because we watch these movies pretty close together and so i was actively thinking about the comparisons throughout but that movie just had so much more heart and you're right this movie Stephen strange it's supposed to about be about him you know coping with with loss and sort of how he's sort of developed over all the films and it doesn't feel like he's a very different person uh, that in this than he is in the first Doctor Strange. And it's like Christine says, you always have to be the one holding the knife. You know, yeah. it's supposed to be about his humility and how even in uh, Endgame, he's the one who figures out 
you know, what they have to do. You know, part of that's because he's the one who has the power, but he always has to be the one in command. He always has to be the one making the decisions. It's why him and Tony clashed in the past uh, yeah. because they're both bullheaded. And it just doesn't feel like he's really changed all that much to be a likable superhero. And maybe he's not, he's not supposed to be. Um, but, you know, it's, I just didn't think this movie had uh, the heart that we've seen in a lot of other MCU movies, you know? Yeah, um, so did you give it a grade? Um, I, I will give, and we, I don't think we technically gave everything everywhere at once a grade either. I will give everything everywhere all at once an A plus, and I will give Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness a C plus. I'm at an eight and a half for everything everywhere all at once. And I, like I said, I gave this a six, 6.5. So maybe not one of the better, uh, entries into the MCU. I don't think I liked it as much as the original Dr. Strange. Um, but you know, it's, it's not bad, even though we just ripped on it a lot. <laughs> I felt like yeah. we ripped on it a lot. I mean, there's some things that are fun to watch. The action's still fun. It's fun to see all the magic and stuff going on. I did think the, that the, the big one-eyed squid thing, um, which I don't think they, that is a character from the comic books, but I don't think they could actually use his name uh, from like copyright reasons. So they just made something that kind of looked like him. I did I think that was an entertaining fight where he's like chopping off its tentacles and stuff. Um, so um, yeah, visually it's okay. I think the plot struggles. I think it's characterization of Wanda struggles and uh, it's just a little misguided and jumbled. I think you could say um, so not one of the MCU stronger uh, entries, but if you're if you're watching all the MCU like we are, then you'll probably check it out. But I think it's on Disney Plus now too, uh, in case anyone isn't looking to go to the theater. So, Mike, let's jump into the last thing we're going to talk about here today. It's another huge franchise. I'm, I finally got you to watch some Star Wars again, so I'm going to call this a, a W right off the jump. Um, yeah. But <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi, highly anticipated film, obviously part of the Star Wars continuity. Uh, but this film picks up. Uh, with it's a mini, mini series, it's a mini series. Yeah, what did I say? Movie. You keep uh, saying. It might a, well, it might as well be a film. Like, <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> um, Obi Wan series starring Deborah Yo. <laughs> I actually think this did was originally developed as a a movie, but they scrapped it when Solo got bad reviews and decided to turn it into a mini series. But uh, this film, uh, okay. or it's film. Jeez, I keep doing it. This mini series <laughs> tracks Jedi Master Obi Wan Kenobi, who has to save a young Leia after she is kidnapped, all the while being pursued by Imperial Inquisitors and his former Padawan, now known as the villainous Darth Vader. Stars Ewan McGregor reprising his role, Moses Ingram. Vivian Lila Blair plays a young Leia. Hayden Christensen and James Earl Jones sort of team up uh, to, to portray Darth Vader. We have Rupert Friend. We have Soon Khan. We have O'Shea Jackson Jr. We have Indira Varma. We have um, Jimmy Smits in this and i'm forgetting one kumail nanjiani who was i thought a welcome addition to the star wars universe although yeah. a little bit bizarre um but mike you've been i think i think it was you and me who reviewed the last star wars movie that came out um yes. i don't think you've and you were pretty harsh on it we, we spent most of that just arguing um which i have sort of come around to your after watching that on a second time i have sort of come around to your viewing on that that movie could have been better than it is but I've thoroughly enjoyed The Mandalorian. I thought uh, The Book of Boba Fett could have been better. Got a little bit crazy with its cameos and whatnot. And there's some of that going on here with Obi-Wan Kenobi, too. So you've become a known Star Wars hater here, Mike. Uh, Star you... Wars hater. Yeah, well, that's, that's you have been. Fair. You have been. It's on tape. It's on tape, Mike. It's on tape. Uh, but what? come on. Obi-Wan Kenobi, come on. This was okay, right? First of all, I'd like to address the accusations that I am a Star Wars hater. I love the, the first. 
I love the first Star Wars movies, the first three Empire or okay. uh, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. I think okay, the prequels are okay, but very, very flawed. That none of them are that interesting to me. I love a lot of the Star Wars video games. I think those are kind of fun, even though I don't really own video games or play them. But, um, and yeah, I thought the new the new sequel trilogy was uh, not great, uh, to be honest. Like I I think uh, I, I think Rise of Skywalker was a, a slog of a watch, and I think somehow Palpatine returned is one of the worst writing pieces of dialogue I've ever experienced in film. Uh, that does not make me a Star Wars hater. In fact, if you love Star Wars, then you will critique it when it's not done right. Okay. So, so what do you uh, think of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Uh, I thought it was like a mixed bag. I, I, I liked the first two episodes. So I was like, okay, I'm kind of into this. Um, but like, yeah, like as it goes on, you're like, this is great, but there's just kind of weird moments that stand out to you is just really like just it like, doesn't feel it, it okay here's here's what i would say it feels like it feels like you're watching listening to an orchestra and like the orchestra is really great and you're like wow this sounds so beautiful this music's wonderful oh like this i know this song i love this song they're playing this song so so beautifully and then all of a sudden they pause and bring in like you know a third grade bell choir and all of a sudden they try doing it. I was like, and the kids are all messing up and it sounds like, what, what is happening? And then they bring back the other people in and they sound great. And then they're like, what'd you think of it? It's like, it feels like it was great. And then it just feels like you stopped doing it with any of the skills that you had. And you went back to like absolute, like poor quality. And then you went back to good quality. And it's like, it's hard to know like what I just watched. With some of this, it's great. Like, Ewan McGregor is great. Uh, Hayden Christensen is great. The little girl who plays Princess Leia is great. The way it looks is phenomenal. The writing is pretty decent. And then there's just moments that are like, wait, what? Like, so one of the really interesting characters in this, I thought, was Reva, or the third sister, who is a youngling who survived, like, uh, Order 66 or whatever. And yep. she's been on this whole hunt to try to get closer to Darth Vader so she can kill him. Very interesting setup. Very interesting character. Very well-acted character. Good job. And then <laughs> she gets her moment with Darth Vader and they have this, what starts out as a great fight. Like, he's not even using his lightsaber. He's just, like, knocking her away with force powers. And then for part of the fight, she starts rolling around on the ground like and just swinging and i'm like wait what like i had to go back and rewatch it i thought i missed something but i was like no like that choreography just made no like it was it was like i just watched a 10 minute 10 minute or 10 second amazing fight followed by they just switched out and brought in something random that made no sense and was terrible quality and then they switched back to good quality he then stabs her is like oh i knew the whole time it was you and then they leave her for dead but she's totally fine and didn't die. I'm like, wait, yeah, what? Like, what's with, what's with all these people getting stabbed by lightsabers and surviving? Like, Especially I, I when it's Darth Vader. Like, he just like he meant to leave her alive. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, it's like she had this great character development, and then they stop it with this great and then weird fight, and then she's alive and fine, and she's able to go after. It. Like, it, it's just they. They they do so good and then they don't. 
And that's kind of what well, I thought of it. I, it's not perfect. I agree with that. But the thing about the show is it's obviously like being held back by a new hope because everything has to track. Uh, you know, it has to track like in the new hope, they kind of give off the point that they give off the vibe that Obi-Wan and Darth Vader hadn't seen each other in forever. So in a way, this is kind of like a retcon because they have multiple memorable fights. And I guess it, it tracks that Obi-Wan will recognize that he would have had this sort of come to Jesus moment where he realizes that Anakin is dead and that Darth Vader is all bad. Like he sort of yeah. abandons hope of reclamation. So I guess that kind of tracks and I guess they never explicitly say that Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, you know, hadn't seen each other. And he, he is aware of what Darth Vader or what Anakin Skywalker has become in A New Hope. So I guess he would have had to have found that found that out at some point. Um, yeah. But, you know, this movie takes place 10 years after Rise of Skywalker or after. Um, uh, yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Or no. After uh, Revenge of the Sith. And. I guess we're supposed to be led to believe that he thought he was dead for 10 years and uh, has this big revelation. So I do think the plot is sort of hamstrung because it has this film that was made, you know, 50 years ago that it has to intone to. So you can only do so much with the characters and still have it be exciting. Um, So that, that is sort of something it's sort of hamstrung by. And I do think that they do for the most part, pretty good job of sort of still having an entertaining plot and dancing around it. I don't know if it was necessary to like have a young Leia, even though I loved that actress. Maybe it's just because I became a girl dad, but that little girl was amazing in this. And I, I thought she perfectly embodied Leia. I thought that she had charisma. She was she was spunky. And I thought that she did a great job. And for the more, most part, I think the performances were good. Um, but yeah. it, it sort of just feels like, you know, did we need this story? I guess I think that's the big question that we need to ask ourselves. Did this justify its existence? Yeah, it's interesting to even just come to the creation of a project and be like, okay, we've been really hamstrung by Star Wars A New Hope. Like, But that is what <laughs> happens here because you're filling in blanks after the fact. It's like one of the greatest movies of all time that we get to like write, write another part of is really just getting in our way. But I mean, in some ways you could say the prequels also did a little bit of retconning. Because uh, Luke asked her, "Hey Leia, what was our mother like?" Like, yeah, <laughs> I was glad that this didn't retcon as much as I thought it might. No, um, it wasn't it, too bad. Like, no. it wasn't. Yeah, they. Did, I mean, there was a little bit, but okay, whatever. Like, all of Star Wars is just retconning itself now. So whatever. How do you feel about this like new trend? Like you haven't seen book of Boba Fett, but I'll just tell you there's cameos in that. Um, I mean, Mandalorian, we see some cameos. Like, how do you feel about this idea that these universes, I, I don't want to get to the point where the only reason we're watching these stories is because we're waiting for a cameo. You know, and I feel like that's sort of what these creators are feeling like they have to do, particularly in the Star Wars universe, that like people aren't going to like this if you don't somehow tie it into the to the main series. I mean, this is called Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, of course, it's going to be part of the main series. But I think Harry Potter struggled with this. I think the MCU is starting to struggle with this a little bit. You know, I, I don't there's stories, interesting stories that can be told. And this doesn't really apply to Obi-Wan Kenobi, but there are interesting stories that can be told that don't need to be connected to the main through line or the main plot. Um, but I, I think people are missing that, you know, the creators. You know, I think that enough people, especially with something like Star Wars, and we are going to get more series in the future here that are going to spin off and, and stuff. But there's a lot of cool Star Wars stories you could tell. And I guess I don't feel like we need every single one to be tied into the main Skywalker saga. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do agree with you that if you've got a, a creative project now that all you're waiting for is just references 
to another creative prod- product that is mm-hmm. that's dangerous that's not that's mm-hmm. not great and that's also hard for creators like you know I, i've created stuff like I, i've written things that are usually have tie-ins other things and um you know it is it is tough if that became the only thing you were trying to do is just build your whole story and plot line into the idea of references it takes away all creative power from away from writers i do wonder if some of the writers and of these like you know disney projects whether they're like pixar or mcu or star wars like i do wonder if there's so many just cooks in the kitchen for the writers that they don't even get to be creative anymore and like producers are just saying hey here's the five things twitter said they want here's the five top complaints that got made in youtube video essays about this fix all that and make it happen versus let people tell their own original stories that they're passionate about but uh yeah yeah but nothing to, about this to, really felt that creative or needed but it was no it was, it was but, a but, fun little distraction for a couple hours sure i don't think it like made it worse or anything like it wasn't no, like it you know it, it wasn't that and it, i guess it like for what they did it was fine like i did find myself uh, I did think there was good emotional weight in this when it was Anakin and, and Obi Wan or Anakin and Obi Wan sort of confronting each other, and you know some of the lines where they're like, "I am what you made me," and uh, you know, like, "Then you truly are gone." And that, some of those lines did hit pretty good because we've seen, yeah. you know, whether you've watched the prequels or the Clone Wars or which I'm watching the Clone Wars right now, and they're just like the best of friends, brothers, and just to see the d- deterioration of their relationship, it did hit me pretty hard in the feels. Uh, there were some great shots in this where like lightsabers would glow in the darkness. I mean, when he was dragging him around in the fire or yeah. uh, Anakin, like choking people, like snapping a little kid's neck in front of his family or yeah. like he is ruthless. This is prime Vader and he's terrifying when you see the red glow of him on that suit or the flames reflecting in his black armor or the blue glow reflecting on Obi-Wan's uh, beard like visually there was some pretty cool shit in this show for sure and yeah. i thought the fight choreography was good for the most part with some notable exceptions as you pointed one out um you know the the rock fight was kind of interesting it's like why, why are you just why are you piling rocks on someone who can use the force just stab him if you really want to kill him darth vader but yeah. it's like oh we can't kill him because a new hope you know yeah <laughs> so but visually emotionally uh, I didn't expect to care or feel it so much. You know, there was some real emotional moments that actually struck a chord with me. And that's because of the performances and the writing for the most part, I think, which I think was overall pretty strong. Yeah. Performances were fine. Um, everyone did a good job, uh, especially Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. I think they were like the two strongest performances. Um, just one, that- l- one little other thing I'll say that kind of, I thought was weird. The, the chase with Leia when she's a little girl and they're going to kidnap her and they're running through the forest. Like, tell me you didn't feel that was shot weird. <laughs> that was just so I'm not strange. remembering the scene you're talking about. For watch the, well, everyone go back and watch the scene where Leia gets kidnapped. And it's like, you watch a guy just run into a random branch out of nowhere. <laughs> like these are actual, like these are like hardened mercenaries. Like, and they, like, I don't know. It just seemed that seems, the other, seems a little strange to me. The other scene that hit me a lot was when Indira Varma, who's from Game of Thrones, uh, oh, sacrifices yeah. herself and says, "The Force be with, may the Force be with you." That, that hit cool. pretty good. I thought. Yeah, I good. did she like the side character. characters. I liked yeah. all the side characters in this. Actually, same, same. Um, I thought there was some some good characters brought in, and um, you know, I, I thought that the the finale was pretty cool. It seemed like there was parts of it that you didn't. Uh, but like when when Hayden Christensen and James Earl Jones are kind of doing like the the mixture of their voices. Yeah, I, I like that. that. Was really cool. 
I liked that. That was really sweet. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, because this is kind of, this is trying to be a bridge between the prequels and the originals. So literally creating a bridge between their voices and with half the mask cut off. But yeah. Uh, smart. I thought it worked. I thought it was a very, it was, a very nice way to uh, communicate that. But also then the way they, they, the way they did it was nice. Although was it actually James Earl Jones? Like, yeah. Yep. So are they, is he still, like going into studios with a mic and saying those lines or are they did they record yeah. have they record his voice they just have it forever now or how does that work uh, i i'm not sure but yeah that was it was him i mean he was he was in there so i mean he's he's credited um and it was very clearly his voice so i, I don't know exactly yeah. what the post stuff was was doing but i guess that's sort of the strongest thing i think that this series does or the thing that it adds most to the star Wars saga is it flushes out Anakin's turn into Vader because we don't actually get to see that really. Um, When you see revenge of the Sith at the very, put the armor on, but we don't really get to see him as prime Vader. We get a little glimpse in rogue one in one of the most badass things that have ever happened in star Wars. Um, But this sort of shows us, you know, prime Vader which we we, yeah. we didn't really get to see so i i feel like that's probably the biggest contribution that it has to this whole saga is showing us the the breakdown of or the breaking down of obi-wan kenobi and sort of how he got to where he is when he turns into alec guinness and showing the increased chaos and volatility of darth vader to what we see in the new hope why he's willing to blow up alderaan in a second so yeah. I think it does help sort of flush out those characters and characterize them more. So that's probably the biggest contribution this brings. But uh, I think I, what did I end up giving it? I gave it an eight, eight. I liked it for the most part. I didn't, I'm not sure it totally needed to happen, but at the same time, it didn't like, it didn't destroy anything from the star Wars yeah. saga either. So I call it a success. Yeah. I'll give it a B minus. I really liked the last line. I know it was like building up into a, you know, and no, it's literally what we just talked about where it's like, oh, are they just building up into references? But when he walked up to Luke and said hello there, like mm-hmm. that was just sweet. There was something was about fine. it that had a lot of heart and it was very fitting. And I thought that was a nice ending. I wish I wish there would have been more done with Luke because like you, you do think with Obi-Wan, it's like, OK, this is going to be about Obi-Wan guarding Luke and watching over him and then the whole thing. Is just about Leia, which is fine. Yeah, but, but again, I, I, I do wish hope, Luke was teased a little bit more than he was actually in in it. But, but again, hamstrung by a new hope, Luke only knows vaguely of old Ben in a new hope. So it's it, you don't really get even though they meet in this, you don't really get the impression that they're like good friends, you know. So I just don't know how much involvement you could have had from Luke because he's kind of in the dark when a new hope starts. And if you give him too much information, then all of a sudden that doesn't track. So I think that's probably why they chose to go with Leia more than anything. And it was cool seeing Leia have his moment with uh, Obi-Wan when he sort of tells her that, you know, the qualities of Padme and Anakin and how she embodies both. And um, so there was some cool callbacks and cool moments uh, from Star Wars in this. So I appreciated it. It's on Disney Plus now. Um, I think it's well worth watching. I I think it's I, I don't think it's as good as The Mandalorian. It's better than Book of Boba, in my opinion. Um, so uh, definitely worth a watch. But that's going to do it and, for today's episode. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say enjoyable and forgettable. <laughs> You're not going to be like flipping it back on and, and watching it every once in a while? and uh, No. Nope. Well, well it, was, it was solid, though. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. We appreciate everyone for listening. Mike, it was good to get back on here and doing this. We're going to... 
Uh, we want to review Top Gun. I haven't been able to see it. It's a lot harder to get to the theaters these days. Um, I also I also need to watch the new Harry Potter, and I need to watch Jurassic World, even <laughs> though it's just getting absolutely destroyed at the box office or at the by the critics, which is disappointing. I thought that we would at least get a fun popcorn movie here, Mike, but apparently not. Apparently, we're not capable of doing that. So, well, we um, we did both watch Chippendale. If we want to review that, <laughs> yes, yes, Chippendale. That was that's a whole nother conversation. So, there's movies yeah. out there. It's the summer. It's blockbuster season. Um, so there's movies that we can watch. Again, the struggle is always just me getting to the theater as a new dad here. And I also did see The Northman finally because it was on Peacock. Um, and I, I do want to talk about that as well. So we've got a backlog per usual. Uh, we'll try and get back here in a couple weeks but again appreciate everyone for listening you can check out our check out our old episodes soundcloud spotify apple Podcasts. check out our facebook page of the second day film podcast but again film fans appreciate you so much for listening so for mike nichols i'm brandon champion thank you once again for listening to the second day film podcast we'll talk to you next time and we'll see you at the movies and may the force be with you